Hello everyone, it's Mark Goodacre here. Welcome to the NT Pod, the podcast all about the New Testament and Christian origins. It's episode 37, and this time we're asking, what is the purpose of the epistle to the Hebrews? In the previous episode of the NT Pod, uh, NT Pod 36, we took a first look at the epistle to the Hebrews and asked one or two of those nitty-gritty questions like, who was the author of the epistle, and answered a big don't know about that one. Who were the recipients of the epistle, and answered a big don't know about that one. But we were able to say something about what the epistle's actually about, and we explored in particular this character of Melchizedek, this extraordinary, mysterious character that we know that other Jews in the same period speculated about too, because you find speculation about Melchizedek in the Dead Sea Scrolls, for example. Um, he's He's a figure we saw who was key to early Christians as they reflected on Psalm 110 in which he was mentioned. And it gave the writer of the epistle to the Hebrews this brilliant excuse to make Jesus into the high priest, the great high priest who is above any other kind of high priest. And so to pull off a real coup because Jesus, who you might normally see as being a prophet, as being a messianic figure, can then also become a priestly figure too. And it was, it was a brilliant achievement that the writer of this epistle carried off. But we left the podcast that time asking the question, why did the writer do this? Why did he develop these interesting and complex and fascinating reflections on things like sacrifice and Melchizedek and high priesthood and so on? Why was he doing this? What was the purpose of the epistle? And they're the kind of questions that I want to reflect on in in this particular episode. Well, one of the most intriguing possibilities about the Epistle to the Hebrews, and perhaps the one that's most common in the literature, is the idea that its purpose is to be encouraging its Jewish Christian recipients. The idea is that you can get some clues from the title of the book, Hebrews, and suggest that perhaps this is written to a group of Christian Jews or Jewish Christians. In other words, people who were Jews who had come to believe that Jesus was the Messiah. And the theory is that these Jewish Christians were struggling a bit now that it came to being persecuted and now that it came to seeing the full effects of their conversion or their or their change around to following Jesus as the Messiah. And so the epistle to the Hebrews, according to this view, is written to people to discouraging to discourage them from backsliding, is to say to them, no longer do you need to worry about any kind of conflict. And yes indeed you are right to be following Jesus. Don't lapse back into your former life in Judaism. And that's a very common view of the way that the epistle to the Hebrews has been uh, constructed. I think though that for all the attractiveness of this kind of view it's weak for several reasons. One of them is that the author's knowledge of real-life Judaism in the first century, and especially the temple, seems a bit limited. It doesn't give you the impression, this, this epistle doesn't, it doesn't give you the impression of somebody who has kind of really first-hand knowledge of the way that the temple is functioning in the first century. In fact, 
he's someone who doesn't even really like using the term temple very much. He always uses the rather more biblical term, tabernacle. And I think that the writer of the epistle to the Hebrews is something more of a of, of a kind of a biblical figure in the sense that he's more interested in the Greek Bible than he is in everyday Judaism of the first century. So in a way, it's not relevant to him what's actually going on in the temple now, because his knowledge of the temple is derived largely from a kind of biblical perspective. In some respects, I see the author of the epistle to the Hebrews a little bit like Luke, the author of the third gospel and Acts of the Apostles. That He's very knowledgeable in many ways about Judaism, but the knowledge is largely derived from a very kind of biblical uh, view. It's kind of seeped in the language of the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Hebrew scriptures. I think the problem that I have with this view that Hebrews is written to a group of Jewish Christians to prevent them from backsliding, that the biggest problem I've got with that is that it doesn't take seriously one of the most fundamental things about the epistle to the Hebrews, and that's that there is a key division in the epistle to the Hebrews between two different types of material. One of those groups of material I would call exposition. It's theological reflection. That's the material in which you get all of the reflections on scripture, reflections on the high priest, reflections on sacrifice and that kind of material. And then the other whole group of material is what you would call exhortation, or in older textbooks was called paranesis, the idea that the author in these sections is speaking directly to the reader or to the hearer. In these sections, you hear the exhortation of the preacher. These are the bits where he's telling you what to do. And so here's the thing. In the material which is broadly defined as exhortation, as paranesis, in this material, you hear exactly what it is that the author wants to tell his audience to do, what he, what he thinks the readers of the epistle should be doing. And in this material, you hear surprisingly general Christian, sermonic, homiletic kind of material. Essentially, it's a kind of almost like a universally applicable message. And that's one of the reasons that people are still able to read Hebrews today, because the exhortation passages really kind of fit into a general pattern of Christian paranesis, Christian exhortation. And what is that pattern? What's the key message? The key thing that you get in the epistle to the Hebrews is one of the old, most old-fashioned messages of all, and it's do not sin. He says in the, in the exposition passages, he talks all about how Jesus has dealt with sin once for all. But the application, the exhortation is, do not sin. And that's why the word for sin is one of the most common words in Hebrews, again and again and again in the epistle. And it has a lot of that material, a lot of material about sin in the passages, the exhortation passages. And in addition to this emphasis on sin, is an emphasis also on perfection. And the exhortatory passages in Hebrews are all about perfection, moving on towards perfection, becoming perfected, getting sanctified, moving on to being the most mature, perfect kind of Christian that you can be. And so the message of Hebrews is a quite simple one, even if it's a, very, even if it's a kind of a challenging and demanding one. It's about minimizing and eradicating sin and becoming perfect. In fact, it's part of this 
emphasis on sin and perfection that leads to one of the most controversial passages in the whole epistle. And this is the passage in Hebrews chapter 6, where you have this interesting comment that it's impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy, Ga Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come, if they shall fall away, Hebrews 6 verse 6, to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. You notice that I'm using a King James uh, translation there. The th this, this passage has always been a controversial one because it seems to suggest that it's it's impossible for someone to go on and sin in a really dreadful way and get uh, kind of and get rehabilitated and and all I would say about this passage is that it fits right into the whole stress in the epistle to the Hebrews that from sin to forgiveness to the striving towards perfection and perfection becomes that really key thing in the in the epistle and and that's why that passage in Hebrews 6 begins with talking about moving on towards perfection and that really is is, is the kind of one of the key teachings in this epistle but if you're not fully persuaded that uh, that this is the major theme and the major purpose behind the epistle to the Hebrews look at one of the other really famous passages in in the epistle Go to Hebrews 12, verses 1 to 3. He's just um, gone through this, this amazing catalogue of the people of faith from the past. And then he says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Listen to the way that he's stressing the importance of not sinning. That's the lesson that he's drawing from the exposition that he's just given us. And then he goes on in, 13, in 12, verse 2. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful people, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So that's the message of, of Hebrews, that it's a strive towards perfection, avoiding growing weary and losing heart. Now, of course, this raises... An interesting question, which is, given that it's such a general message, given that it's a kind of a universally applicable Christian message, I mean, what Christians across history have objected to the idea of saying you shouldn't sin, is there any kind of specificity here? Is there anything that marks Hebrews out as, as, as different in the purpose that it has? And I think the thing is, if you pay a bit of attention to a really key moment in chapter 13, you get an idea of what's going on in this epistle. And it does proceed from this idea of Hebrews as exhortation. Because in 13 verse 22, right towards the end of the epistle, he says, brothers and, brothers and sisters, I urge you to bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written to you only a short letter. And I will say, if you're asked for the to give the story of the purpose of something, always see if the author tells you what the purpose is. There's no point engaging in a huge amount of speculation about what the author may or may not have meant on this given occasion if they actually tell you why they're doing it. And here the author tells you why he's written the epistle. He says he's written it as a word of exhortation. What's a word of exhortation? It's a sermon. And I think the thing is, the epistle to the Hebrews isn't really a letter at all. What we've got here is a kind of elaborate first century Christian sermon. 
and it's a sermon that has this quite sophisticated and interesting reflection on certain passages from the Hebrew scriptures, which then gathers them in and applies them with a kind of a universal don't sin, be perfect kind of message. And I suspect that this sermon was something that was preached on many occasions that eventually the author, whoever it was, wrote down or one of his people wrote down and then it spread even more and it gained a little bit of an appearance of something a bit like a circular letter when it gets chapter 13 added to it. It's a little bit like those people who send round a a kind of circular letter at Christmas, which is one for everybody, and then at the end they tag on a little bit of, oh, you know, greet, uh, you know, Auntie Maureen or whatever at the end. That's rather like the way that in Hebrews in chapter 13, you have a little bit where he just says, oh, you know, by the way, you know, um, mentions Timothy and the people in Italy and so on. So I think that's what it is. It's a kind of a circular letter, but it's a circular letter that's developed out of a sermon because that's kind of what he tells us it is. And so they're my thoughts on the epistle to the Hebrews another topic on the NT pod next time well thanks very much for listening to this latest episode of the NT pod it's always a pleasure to have your company you can find me on the web at podacre.blogspot.com or you can follow me on twitter at uh, goodacre oh and something new uh, there's now a facebook page for the NT pod simply go to facebook.com slash NT pod all one word and you'll find me there if you tick like it's always nice to know that you're there and you can write on the wall uh, and uh, show your support for the NT pod in that way oh and of course you can also find me on iTunes and Duke University's iTunes U thanks again for your company and I look forward to being with you again soon